been doing for the last number of weeks, which is just taking a, a, a little chunk, uh, really a verse that has a couple little nuggets in it, uh, and we've been doing that each week, uh, really kind of around uh, the theme of Romans 12, uh, and that theme is love. Now, this is an important theme that, that the Apostle Paul, who's written, write, written this letter, is, is introducing to us, and he's shaping in us this idea of how important love is. And for me, I've become uh, particularly convinced as we've been going through this, and as I look really at the rest of Scripture, that the primary way we grow in our faith is love. We're growing in our faith to the degree that we are growing in our love for God, we're growing in our love for our families, we're growing in our love for the church, we're growing in our love for our neighbors. If you're not growing in love, you're not growing. Now, a lot of this is different than how I normally would have used to think. I, I normally would have thought, well, if I'm growing in my knowledge of God, then I'm growing spiritually, or if I'm growing in sort of my patience or my virtue in these other ways, well, that's a sign of spiritual growth, and it is. But the deepest and the biggest and the most significant sign of, of, of life and of growth, spiritually speaking, is growing in love. I said, I didn't always think this. I used to think, you know what, just put me on a desert island by myself with a Bible and a notebook, and I will grow into a spiritual giant. You ever had a thought like that? Maybe it's just like, I just want to get alone. I just want to be by myself. I just want to have my own time and space. And I used to think that way, but the reality is, if I want to grow in obedience to the Scripture, if I want to grow in what God has commanded, if I want to grow in love, it requires people. Right? You can't grow in love if you're just by yourself. It requires relationships. It requires connection. It requires community. It especially requires relationship and connection with people that kind of rub you the wrong way. The Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And when iron scrapes against iron, sometimes there's sparks. But that whole process is growing in our love for God and our love for other people. And that's really what's described here in Romans 12. And so we, wouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised, really, as we look at Romans 12, because uh, it started at the beginning saying that, that in view of all of God's mercy to us, we should offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to Him, that we would no longer be conformed to the pattern of the world, but we'd be transformed by, by living a new way. And as Paul describes this new way of love, it's not surprising, actually, to see that if you read through Romans 12, what you see here, it feels like he's just describing Jesus. He's saying, live a new way. Here's what it looks like. It's a life of love. And, and aha, it looks like Christ. And so we've actually seen a, a few different things that this kind of love looks like. Look at uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. The very beginning, this has been kind of the banner uh, phrase that's been over what we've been looking at these last number of weeks. Romans 12, 9 says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Uh, this is really just saying genuine love. There's not even a verb here. Paul just says, genuine love, here's what it looks like. And then he begins to list some things. And uh, I thought it would be helpful to kind of list them kind of as they would literally, if you were to do a wooden literal translation of this particular section, how it would look. And so uh, here's how it would look. He would say genuine love, here's what this looks like, abhorring the evil hating the evil, being disgusted by things that are wrong, by things that are sinful, by things that dishonor God. Glued to the good is the next thing. You can't just hate evil, but you got to be glued to the good. That's what that meant. And then Paul begins to list all these different kind of categories of life and how a, a Christian who's modeling genuine love lives as it relates to these categories. So he says, 
in the brotherly love, affectionate. So as it relates to the relationships that you have with fellow believers, we're to be affectionate, we're to be caring, we're to be concerned, we're to see it like family. He says, in the honoring, outdoing one another. As it relates to honoring people and, and giving respect, exceed, lead the way in those things. In the zeal, not slothful. Not falling behind in diligence, not falling behind in getting things done, but having a, a heart for the Lord that is getting after it. Then he says, in the spirit, boiling. We talked about that last week, that the idea of being fervent in spirit is, is that the spirit of God is so alive and so real in your heart that it's boiling over to whatever kind of emotion uh, you express. And then finally, a genuine love in the master being a slave. As it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ, we see ourselves uh, as His servants. We aim to please Him. Well, Paul's going to give us a few more uh, scenarios, a few more settings. He's going to talk about in the hope, what do we do? Uh, what do we do in the tribulation? And what do we do in the prayer? That's what we're going to kind of look at as we go through this. Now, it's important to, to realize that, that, and this kind of sets the context, he's been calling us to love and all of this is motivating and encouraging, but, but here's the thing. Love is hard primarily because it involves people and it involves pain, right? People. Sometimes I'll hear, I'll talk to a pastor and I'll say, how's, how's ministry going? And he'll say, it'd be great if it wasn't for the people. It's like, you should probably quit. Like, I don't, what is this about, right? Or, uh, you know, Mike Carrillo referenced uh, earlier to me the Seinfeld episode where Jerry says, you know, people, they're the worst, you know? And that is kind of how it is. Like, it'd be a lot easier to love if you didn't have to care about people because people are messy and, and they're different than you and it just can be uncomfortable. And then when you add in the reality, not just that you're living as a fallen person among fallen people, but you're also living in a fallen world. You're living in a world with pain, you're living in a world with difficulty and circumstances that upend you. It's really hard, not just to love for a moment, not just to love in a bite-sized way, but to keep loving in an enduring way. That's very difficult. Uh, we've got a seven-week-old baby. I think uh, some of you know that if you've been around here, and, and she's doing really well. Um, but this pregnancy for us, this is our third child, and this was, the, the, this was Molly's toughest pregnancy by far. And I'm sure, I'm positive, there are people in this room that have had tougher pregnancies than she had. Uh, but for this one, what made it different was that she was nauseous and sick, not just for the first trimester, but for the whole way. Um, and it didn't really go away until the baby came. And, and um, I remember sort of during the first trimester thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, I'll really, I'll love and care for her, you know. I'll meet her needs. I'll do whatever she wants and needs, you know, because she's not feeling good. And... But I expected it to go away. <laughs> so then by like week, you know, month five, month six, it was kind of like, get over it already. Like, that's how I felt, right? Because it, it, it's, it's kind of heroic and it's kind of even fun to like love for a minute, but to keep loving. And to endure for the long haul. That's a lot harder. And so the, the theme of this verse, the theme of Romans 12, 12, really is the idea of enduring in love, that genuine love endures. And this uh, verse is going to give us a couple indicators and a couple things that are going to help us to understand uh, where enduring love comes from and what it looks like. 
All right, so uh, we really just kind of have three points based on these three particular parts of verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So the first one, genuine love rejoices in hope. This comes from the beginning of verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Or literally, this is in the hope, rejoicing. When it comes to the hope you have, rejoice. Now, it's interesting because this uh, word for hope, uh, the Apostle Paul uses this different ways. Um, Sometimes he uses this word the way we typically talk about hope. I hope to come see you. I hope that this happens. I I hope that such and such takes place. That's often how we talk about hope. We talk about hope uh, more like wishful thinking. And there are times when the Apostle Paul uh, uses that word that way. But oftentimes when Paul talks about hope, he's talking about it as a noun, And he's talking about it as a certainty. So rather than wishful thinking, he's talking about as our hope, the hope we have, this certain solid rock on which we stand. That kind of language is really how he tends to talk about it. So when he says rejoicing in hope or in the hope rejoicing, he's saying there's this bedrock that we stand on. If you're going to endure in genuine love, you got to rejoice in that. That has got to motivate and excite you and bring you joy. Well, what is that hope? Well, you have your Bible. Turn back to Romans uh, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and in, beginning in verse 18, uh, the Apostle Paul's already told us in this book what our hope is. What is the hope that we're to be rejoicing in as we're going to endure in love together? It's this hope described in Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now listen, stop there just a moment. If you're not currently suffering, or if when you hear the word suffering, there aren't a few specific instances that come to mind, it's, it's tempting to just kind of read over this and gloss over this and, and forget the magnitude of what this verse says. But for those of you who are enduring some things, or you have endured some things that are real, real serious, you've endured pain, you've endured betrayal, you've endured death of loved ones, you've endured sickness, you've endured years, stretches of unemployment, you've endured infertility. You've endured all kinds of things that just have not gone the way you wanted. If that's you, read verse 18 again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, all that stuff, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As serious as those are, as heartfelt as those pains are, Paul is saying the hope is that much better. Verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope, there's that word, here's the hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is the hope 
The hope is that this broken, fallen world, filled with broken, fallen people and broken, fallen fallen circumstances, will one day be made new. The creation itself will be set free from this corruption. The world, here's what this literally means. Here's our hope. There will be a new heaven and a new earth without suffering, without sickness, without pain, without death. This is maybe different than how you've thought about the future. I'll sometimes hear Christians say, well, it doesn't matter because this is all just going to burn anyway. And I, always, I mostly just feel sad for those people because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that God's just going like, to scorch the thing and we're all going to live someday in the clouds. That's not what it says. It says he's going to renew it. There's going to be a purging of the earth, but then it's going to be made new, suitable for the new children of God, the people who have also been set free from corruption and decay. It says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the firstfruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. There's that word again, hope. What What hope were we saved into? What promise do we have? We have a promise that because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, that by faith in Him, we can be born again. We can be made new. And God doesn't then just make us new. He's going to make the world new, everything new. Behold, I make all things new, He said. That's our hope. And Paul says, genuine love is helping one another rejoice in that hope. Remember that hope. Because it gets dark, and it gets overwhelming, and it's hard to see past the fog of the pain we're in sometimes. So genuine love rejoices in that, reminds each other of that, encourages one another with that truth. One of my favorite examples of this um, comes from a letter uh, written to a death row inmate by Randy Alcorn. Randy Alcorn's an author and a pastor. He's written a number of books. Uh, some of them are nonfiction, and some of them are fiction. And actually, one of my favorite books outside the Bible is a book he wrote called Safely Home. And one of the things I love about Alcorn's books, both his nonfiction and fiction, is um, he has studied the Bible in depth about what it says about heaven. And so he uses that in his, uh, in his novels um, to, to describe the beauty and um, he uses, I think, or I'd call it sanctified imagination to describe uh, according to the Bible, what heaven is like. And um, so what happened was a number of years ago, there was a, uh, there was a lady who was a stay-at-home mom at the time. Uh, her name was Novella, and she felt really just a desire to make more of an impact, to make more of a difference, but she was a stay-at-home mom. There wasn't a lot of places she could go and things she could get out of the house to do, so she got in touch with a prison ministry. And this prison ministry did correspondence and sharing the gospel with inmates, and especially inmates on death row. And so she got partnered up with this uh, convicted uh, murderer on death row named Derlin. And for 16 years, she wrote him letters and corresponded with him, and they shared, and shared the gospel. And eventually, Derlin came to faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, he was scheduled to uh, die. He died on uh, November 19th of 1997. 
And so Novella went with her family to, to actually meet him in person for the first time. And one of the things that she had done through their correspondence was she had sent him a copy of Randy Alcorn's book, Dominion. It's a novel. And in it, it describes some just really cool uh, scenes in the book that take place in heaven. And, and Derlin was really touched by this book. And so he told Novella how much he loved it, but that he was saving up these heaven scenes to read right before he was executed on November 19th. And so Novella got in touch with Randy's ministry and said, hey, I think it would mean a lot to, to Derlin if you wrote him a letter uh, since he loved your book and it touched him a lot. And so uh, here's what Randy Alcorn wrote to Derlin about the hope of heaven. He said, dear Derlin, Novella talked to my assistant Kathy and said you were reading Dominion and that the parts on heaven had been an encouragement to you. She also said you were waiting to read the last half of the book in the last few days before your execution. I'm glad our Lord has spoken to you through dominion. And above all, I'm delighted you have come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. None of us deserves God's grace. If we deserved it, it wouldn't, we wouldn't need it. Despite our complete unworthiness, he offers us the gift of eternal life based on his death for our sins on the cross. It's an awesome thing to realize God has seen us at our worst and still loves us. He's writing that to a convicted murderer. God's seen us at our worst, and he still loves us. No matter what sins we've committed, Derlin, I know that if we have both repented and accepted Christ's gift of eternal life, we are brothers, and we'll see each other again on the other side. I look forward to meeting you there. I have a request for you. My mother, a devoted follower of Christ, died 16 years ago. My father was very hostile to the gospel. After years of saying no to God, he accepted Christ as his Savior five years ago at the age of 84. Dad died in February at 89, and my wife Nancy and daughters Karina and Angela and I and my brother Lance were all with him when he made his exodus from this world to the next. In fact, Dad's birthday, his 90th, is November 19th. So, Derlin, I'd like to ask you to give my mom and dad a hug for me and say happy birthday to my dad. They may well be seeing a lot of what's going on here, but please tell them I love them and can't wait to see them again. And when you talk with our Lord, even though he knows this and everything else, tell him how much I love him and how much I look forward to seeing him face to face. I tell him that myself, but if you wouldn't mind passing on the message, I'd appreciate it. I've marked my calendar and will be praying for you between now and the 19th. I look forward to meeting you, brother. It won't be long before we're both living in the world for which we were made. Your brother, Randy Alcorn. I love that letter. And one of the reasons I love it is because here's a guy who has studied what the Bible says about our hope. And he writes a letter that says, you're going to be in heaven on November 19th. It's my dad's birthday. Tell him hi. Like, I think sometimes we think of all this stuff, this future hope and a new earth and heaven, and, and it just feels so fake. feels like we're talking about Bigfoot and the Easter Bunny. We're, we're talking about a real thing. So he can say, hey, listen, I tell Jesus all the time that I love him, but when you see him face to face, will you tell him for me? I just love that. That's our real hope. 
And we're to encourage one another with this. It's not make-believe. It's not pretend. This pain won't last forever. There's a real hope, and we're to rejoice in it and encourage each other with it. So remind one another of those things. Be sensitive and be caring and be comforting, but, but encourage people. I have one friend, what he likes to say, I don't know if this is the most comforting thing, but his name's Tom, and if you knew him, this would, you'd, you'd get it. Um, but, but Tom would always say, no matter how bad it, can get, it gets, it can only last a lifetime. And I, again, I don't know if that feels that encouraging, but that's true. That's our hope. It, it can't last forever because of what Jesus Christ has done. So rejoice in hope. Genuine love does that. Secondly, genuine love endures trouble. Back to Romans 12, uh, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. In the tribulation, patient. In the hope, rejoicing. In the tribulation, patient. Now, this is interesting. Tribulation there is just a general word. It it doesn't refer to any specific kind of trouble. It's just a general word for trouble. It could be physical pain. It could be spiritual pain, relational pain, any kind of pain. It's it's tribulation. It's trouble. It's problems. It's just anything that could go wrong. So so in, in whatever kind of tribulation, be patient. Well, what does patient mean? This is such a great word. The word patient here, what it means is to remain under, to bear up under to hold your ground under. The picture that comes to my mind when I hear that definition is a picture of a weightlifter. Have you ever watched these World's Strongest Men competitions? I was watching this a few weeks ago on TV. And this guy, I mean, these guys get up there, and they've got 750 pounds on a bar that they've got to squat as many different times as they can, right? And there, I mean, that's a lot of weight, right? And they're enduring just just by standing underneath it, right? And that's what this word is. It's the idea of remain under. Hang in there underneath it. Now, this is an amazing thought because what we typically think when we face trouble of any kind is how fast can I get out from under it? How fast can I get away from it? But this verse is saying, And again, it's addressed to a community. It's addressed to a group of Christians saying, as you love one another, hang in there together, endure together, hold it up together, the trouble that you face. Don't get out from under it as fast as you can, but endure it, still rejoicing in the hope that's to come. Great example of this we see is in Acts chapter 4. In Acts 4, the church has been persecuted and people have been imprisoned and they're not too far removed from when Jesus was killed for everything that he was about. And in Acts chapter 4, the church is gathered and they're praying. And here's what uh, they pray. They say this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to get out of this pain. Oh wait, that's not what they said. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. God, look at the persecution we're facing. Look at the trouble. Help us to endure. Would they have loved it to be taken away? I'm sure. But that wasn't their prayer. Their prayer was, God, this is what's here. This is the reality that's here. Give us strength to continue. Give us strength to stand. And that is a bold and a faith-filled prayer. Because, as I said earlier, we like the idea of short-term little bites of suffering and pain where we can kind of prove how heroic we are by our faith to endure it. 
But the idea of something that just is going to last for a long time is really different, right? If I, so, so the example, going back to the example I shared with you about Molly, right? Knowing that at some point this baby was going to be born and she wasn't going to be sick anymore was like, okay. Once, I mean, as, as hard as it was, it was like, okay, I can get my arms around this. This is going to be a few more months. You know, I got I to hold this. I got to endure this weight for a little bit to help her and to keep serving her. And then at some point, she's going to feel better and the weight can drop. And I won't have to do anything for her. No. No, that's what some of you were thinking. But it's, but it's it, you know what it is. It's different. But imagine that someone comes to you and just says, here, hold this. You go, whoa, this is heavy. How long do you want me to hold this for? I don't know. Okay, well, that's very funny. How long? I don't know. So you hold it for a while. You go, this is getting kind of tired. Can I put it? No, 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 don't put it down. Why? Because you've got to hold it. Well, for how long? I don't know. And some of you are more in that place. You don't know how long this pain is going to last. There's not a real clear window when it, it's all over. Right, I think about friends that I've had who uh, they've, they've kids for their wives, not through a pregnancy, but through a, through a, a a cancer situation with a very dim prognosis. They, hey, this is one of those 1% things, and we're going to try some experimental drugs, but we're not really sure how long this is going to last or how it's going to go. Just, just, just hold this. and Don't stop. Some of you are in that place. You're stuck. Some of you, there's a relationship that's broken, or there's a dynamic. Maybe it's a divorce from your past, and that situation is just not good, and it doesn't look at all like it's going to get better. And, and you're just going, okay, I've still got to interact with this person. I've still got to deal with this scenario, and it just isn't getting better. It's not improving, and I don't have much hope that it's going to. Just hold this. And the, the command here is endure it. Remain up underneath it. Now, if, if you're feeling like, gosh, that sounds impossible, here's the good news. It is. It is impossible in your own strength. You can't do that in your own strength. And so the only way you're going to be able to remain under that kind of deep, serious trouble for a long time is if you remember the brackets of this verse. If you're rejoicing in the hope that's to come, and then if you do what comes next. Chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. In the prayer, constant. In the prayer, enduring. Here's what constant means here. This word means to stick close by, to be attached. That's what this word means. The same exact Greek word is used in Mark chapter 3 uh, when Jesus is teaching. And it says, He told His disciples to have a boat ready for Him because of the crowd, lest they crush Him. That, ver, that, that word, ready for him, that's the same word. Constant in prayer, have the boat ready. It's standing by. It's near there. It's attached. It's close, right? This is, right? What this word means, think about how you feel about your phone, right? It's attached, right? You ever have those moments where you're like, oh, no, where is it? Right? And, and, and it's not as big a deal as we all think, but at just that point, it feels like your whole life is missing. Right? Or if you've ever dropped your phone in the pool or in the water, and it's like, oh, my whole life just, just went down the toilet. I dropped my phone in the toilet once, and it was like, 
do I grab it? I don't know. It's a very hard decision, right? But a lot of us, we're attached to that. Or maybe it's an iPad or it's some other device or it's your keys, something that you always keep close by. That's what this is saying. In the prayers, keep it close by. Be constant. Right? This doesn't mean that every second of every day our hands are folded and our eyes are bowed and we're on our knees and we're always actually praying. What it's saying is that, this, that, that prayer is always nearby. It's always in your pocket. It's always in your purse. It's always there. It's standing by, ready to be accessed, and not just ready to be accessed, but accessed, especially to remind you of the hope that you have to rejoice in and the, 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 the way that God will be with you in the midst of your trial. Now, Here's what's so uh, impactful to me as I think about these verses as a whole, is God is not just saying, hey, you individually, you rejoice in hope, you endure trials, you be uh, constant in prayer, do it yourself. But the context of this whole thing has reminded us that we're the body of Christ, we're the family of God. He's writing this to a group of people together. So he's saying, you all rejoice in hope. You all endure tribulation. You all be constant in prayer. There's a community element to this that you can't do this by yourself. And you can't endure in love. And you can't endure through life's hardships if you're trying to do it on your own. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Well, I want to invite up Peggy Gilbertson, and some of you know Peggy, many of you don't, and uh, you'll be delighted to meet her. I have, I've asked her to share, um, because over the last eight years, she's gone through four hip replacements. And the last eight years has really been a lot of her trying to uh, live out, hey Peggy, uh, trying to live out and just apply this verse. And in fact, when I asked her to, to, if she'd be interested in this, she's much more of a behind-the-scenes person. Uh, she likes, you know, preparing communion and doing other things where she doesn't have to have a microphone in her hand. And so she said, I don't, just don't know if I want to do this. And then she went in her Bible and she looked up Romans 12 because I told her we we're going to do verse 12. And Romans 12, 12 was highlighted and underlined. And she went, all right, God, I guess I've got to do this. So, yeah. um, so give her grace. This isn't her favorite thing to do to speak. But, um, but you've endured a lot and you've, you've had to really cling to a verse like this and you've yeah. seen it flesh out in your life. So, so talk a little bit about the eight, these last eight years. Kind of what's that been like? What have you uh, endured? Well, of course, it started out with extreme pain in the hips. I was in the work world and had to retire early because I got to having to use a cane to get around. I'm from the Northwest, and it's damp up there. And I would come down after I retired. I came down here, and I could put the cane away. Well, that was awesome, so yeah. I went back to Washington, and within 24 hours, I had the cane back in my hand mm. and was more crippled, and the doctors there yeah. were uh, medicating me via pain pills. That's all they wanted to think about was pain pills. Came back the second time and threw the cane away within 24 hours, and I says, man, I'm moving to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> so I put my house up for sale and moved down here. And over time, even after I got here in the dryness, the pain came back, and they started having to use a cane again. And I ended up having to beg my uh, primary physician to give me a, a referral to an orthopedic. The orthopedic took an x-ray of each hip, flipped them up on the screen, and said, which one do you want to do first? 
and my heart just it was validation that I wasn't crazy yeah. you know there really was something wrong it was bone on bone mm. time to do something about it yeah and so you had that first uh, round of hip replacements 2007 and then a few years later figured out that the the metal that they were made of they were faulty and yes. so that some of that stuff was getting into your bloodstream and there was a recall and a whole thing with that and you found out I got to get these done again yes the cobalt and chromium levels went haywire uh, that's when anxiety and depression set in big time. Yeah. Why me, the poor, you know, why me, Lord? But it was for a reason, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> no. And throughout that season, would you describe, like, were you enduring that alone or <laughs> with people? Uh, I'm a control freak. I did it by myself. <laughs> Thought I could, you know, I can handle this. I'm, I've been known in my family as the strong one. Yeah. I can endure anything. Yeah. I didn't talk about my own needs. Yeah. Kind so of so thing. people would offer, but you'd kind of. Yep. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Yeah. Um, so so through that, I mean, that's a long stretch to stand there and carry this weight. What yeah. what were some of the things that um, helped, and what were the, some of the things that made it especially more difficult? The prayer from my community group. The community group here was an awesome yeah. support system. Uh, the pastors that knew that what was going on were awesome. Um, my family, of course, was supportive, but I just didn't let anybody in the first yeah. three. Yeah. And uh, a sweet pastor here happened to see me bend over to try to pick something up and called me on it and made me promise that I would let the church help me. And I realized through some other people telling me as well, why am I robbing somebody else's blessings by helping me. Yeah. yeah. That was a real lesson for I me to let that, go. I love that one of our guys was willing to do that, to yes. say, hey, you're actually, yes. You're, yes. you're keeping the body of Christ from being able to be the body. Yes, and he wouldn't let me go till I promised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it turned out to be the most awesome thing for me yeah. in the fact that it allowed me to heal faster. Mm. It gave me a chance to meet people I was, I was blessed, but I, I really think, I know how I enjoy taking care of other people. Right. And I always get more of a blessing by taking care of somebody. So yeah. I did let the church help yeah. me. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. then that last part of that verse, be constant in prayer. I know that's been a part that's been real meaningful uh, to you. How has prayer played a role in, in this journey for you? Well, besides the, you know, the personal, God spoke to me big time in the prayer aspect in this last healing my surgeon wanted a sp specific physical therapist to come take care of me this time. And two days before he was supposed to show up, I had a call from another one that said, I've taken over your case, this one didn't want me. I was so angry, hmm. I was really angry. And that morning the female physical therapist came and we did my thing. And she sat down, she says, can I pray for you? And so each session had a prayer session with her. Mm. And it, my healing was so much faster. Yeah. And, and I was so blessed that yeah. God was letting me know, I'm here for you. I always have been. I brought the right person for you this time. Yeah, great. Let, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for Peggy. God, thank you for um, just her willingness to share her story, her, the way that this verse has uh, become more and more real to her. 
through this pain and through this trial and through the people that have loved her. Um, God, I pray that you would continue to allow her to be healthy and strong, that her recovery uh, would continue to be uh, full and smooth. And God, I, I pray uh, that we would all just be blessed as we learn from uh, her story and her example. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We guys thank Peggy. Thank you. I hope that if you're hurting, that you'll be encouraged from that story, that there are people that would love to come alongside and to help. And it may not be physical pain, it might be emotional, it might be depression, it might be discouragement, it might be financial, it might be relational. Let someone know. Maybe you're even in a community of people. Maybe you're surrounded by relationships, but you still, just because of pride or well, I'll get better on my own, or you just haven't opened up and let people know. Let that story encourage you to do that because we're called as a community to do this together. We're called to rejoice in hope together, to be uh, patient in tribulation together, to be constant in prayer together. Now, as I told you at the beginning, I think it's really interesting to read this whole section and just see how much it looks like a description of Jesus Christ. And I can't finish a sermon just sort of exhorting you to uh, rejoice and, and uh, to, to be patient and to be constant in prayer without reminding you why that's possible. The only reason that you have a hope to rejoice in is because of what Jesus has done, right? Because Jesus was willing to come and to live and die and rise again in our place, because he was willing to suffer, we have a hope to rejoice in. Because Jesus was willing to endure tribulation and then overcame it and was victorious, we have hope that we can endure tribulation and that it won't be the last word. And because Jesus, who had been constant in prayer throughout his life, on the cross finally was cut off from his Father so that we could be brought in, because Jesus experienced that, we now have confidence that when we're constant in prayer to God, God is constantly listening. God is leaning in. God is eager to hear us. So this endurance was not just modeled by Jesus. It's empowered by him. It's possible because of what he did. I love how the author of Hebrews says it in Hebrews 12. He says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice again, that's us. This race is before us. We're in this together. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured because of the joy, because of the hope that was set before him. What was that? It was that hope, that joy, that expectation that through his enduring the cross, all things would eventually be made new. And because Jesus endured that, we look to him and we run and we endure because genuine love rejoices in hope. Genuine love endures trouble and genuine love is constant in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that when we